everybody, and welcome to episode three of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we take a listen to tracks on Spotify that have never been heard before until this point. We kind of talk about them. We don't kind of talk about them. We actually talk about them. And I'm Robbie, and I'm joined as always for, uh, by Eric and Matt. How are you guys doing today? Doing pretty well. Thanks for asking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing all right here. It's a bit... A bit chilly in Pennsylvania now. It's starting to we're getting an early fall this year, but I'm I'm doing pretty well. Yes, That's red time has come. Right, almost red time. Look out Indeed. for those trees and their great red color. Yes, no shouting. Anyway, we've got a good collection of tracks for you today, like we always do. We're so good at this. This podcast is going so well, and it's only going <laughs> to get better. So stay tuned because each episode, and this is a promise, each episode is going to be better than the one before it. With that being said, Eric, do you want to take it away? Yeah, so why don't we start out today with a little glam metal. So my track of the day is Gemini 5, uh, which is both the title track and album by the Swedish rock band. I'm sorry, my mistake. The, <laughs> the band is Gemini 5, and the title track and album is Babylon Rockets. Uh, the band was formed in Stockholm, Sweden, in 2001, and this album came out, it looks like, October 2003. The band says they were inspired by the American sleaze rock band Motley Crue, and then much of their style is also taken from bands and artists such as Guns N' Roses, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, David Bowie, and Pink Floyd. So with all of that being said, why don't we jump right into it? Play it from the beginning or a specific timestamp? Yeah, let's, let's do the beginning. I like the opening. In the whole history of man, this has to be the proudest day of our lives. Because of what you have done, the heavens have become a part of man's world. Yeah, so that gives you a taste of it. Um, of course, yeah, you you immediately hear the glam rock come straight through. Like you can basically see the painted faces, the big hair, you know, that style of music. And I guess we should point out, since the viewers can't see it at home, the uh, the album art is four guys. You know, kind of like anime esque, deviant art style. It's extremely male anime. characters. Yeah, right. it's extremely anime. It's. I mean, I feel like it fits. It fits the music. I, Honestly, I'm not... the the big hair, very like Dragon Ball Z ish and like Final Fantasy ish. It perfectly matches this the glam rock aesthetic. Like I can I can see the blonde guy's hair, you know, whipping around while he's playing his guitar perfectly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, and they're they're dressed in what looks like leather with chains and. <laughs> And hand rings, and they're we've making gun symbols with their with their fingers, with you know. Fingers, and he's got fists, like he's got. I might I might include some of this cover art on on our next Instagram post, just so people can get yeah. some context here. Right, yeah, really, you got to see That's it. That's a good idea. It's part of the aesthetic. You Definitely this, an aesthetic. You know what this reminds me of? Did you guys ever watch HomestarRunner.com? 
I no. did not. Well, no, that wasn't me. It will be a useless reference for me to make. But for those of you listening, this is like the uh, hair metal band Limousine on HomestarRunner.com. I will okay. say, though, that the guitar sounds a little loud in the mix to me. I'm having a little trouble hearing the vocal line. What do you guys think? Really? What do you think of the mix? It's definitely a trebly mix, um, but I think that's just like the style of this music. Like, you really want some strong, punchy mids and trebles for that. That is the chugging kind of guitar. It just right. like, goes and goes and goes. I just love that it's it's like perfectly in the genre. Like you yeah. couldn't have a more textbook example of like, if you wanted to explain to someone like, hey, this is what glam rock sounds like. And, you know, having the context of like Motley Crue and like Guns N' Roses. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I instantly thought Bon Jovi. Yeah. Yeah, Bon Jovi for sure, you know. Yeah, go to that Dead or Alive. I think yeah. that's, you know, something most people have heard. Yeah, Eric, I love that style intro. You know, I I am a sucker for the spoken intro. I don't know, it gets me every time. Pretty much, no matter the genre of music, just having someone kind of hype it up that way always gets me. Do you know who that was speaking? It sounded like some, almost like an old recording of, of like, I don't know, JFK or something. Yeah, like some archival footage. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's that's a good question. Um, why don't you guys talk about what you think for a second? I'll see if I can find that out. Because it's got that tinny kind of audio quality that, like, you know it's old, right? right. But also, yeah. I don't know if you heard it. Did you guys hear there was, like, it sounded like either helicopter or gunfire in, vaguely in the background of, of the audio for, like, the guy speaking? Uh, I don't know if I You know, I didn't catch that. Yeah, no, I don't think I heard that. But that would make sense. It's very kind of creating that newsreel pastiche, yeah? Just... That's why I almost thought it could be like a recording of JFK talking about like the war, you know, like talking talking about like the Vietnam War or something. We famously won that war with our Babylon rockets. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That was really yeah. what it took. And yeah, nice uh, call there, Matt. They describe their guitar playing as chugga chugga, you know, like. I I just I know I know the lingo from my years yeah. of being in a metal band myself. So, but I mean, everything about this is just like right on target for i think what the band probably wants to be achieving here right when did you say this was released eric when was this release october 2003 Mm -hmm. um you know i don't think the band is still together their last album came out in 2008 it looks like Mm -hmm. yeah 2003 that makes sense uh i mean what was big around 2003 right that's well, a good question. I, that's true, because yeah, I was going to ask, was there a, a real kind of resurgence of this this glam hair metal kind of uh, genre? Because I always associated it, you know, like you said, Bon Jovi in the 80s, but it doesn't... Bon Jovi seem... was still kicking in the 90s. Even Guns N' Roses was still kind of putting new stuff out in the 90s, I think. It just does seem kind of like a strange band to form out of the 2000s, like, to start off. We're going to start a new hair metal band in 2003 that seems like a strange time to do it well this was but also think, in sweden right yeah oh, that's true. That's right. to say you know it, it being in a different country those genres are still very popular in some countries i know japan as well as a big metal scene oh yeah or at least did uh, especially at this point in time and yes my understanding well. metal has remained very popular in europe mm. yeah 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 that's a good point but there's a little part of me that just I hope that this scene of hair metal like enthusiasts have just remained kind of like 
pure and untouched by the world, like, <laughs> like kind of like an uncontacted tribe where, right. where they're just, they haven't been altered in any way. And there's still just this, this like community of hair metal enthusiasts somewhere in Sweden. An, an oasis of, of glam metal in a sea of different genres. It's beautiful. The Gemini Five are their protectors. Yeah, so it looks like their Facebook page was last updated in 2018. It's kind of just like record keeping. Just record keeping? What's it say? Like, like sorry, uh, yeah, record could mean different things here. But like, uh, for history's sake, it, it looks like they just kind of repost older pictures of the band uh... from when they were touring. And yeah, I'm not seeing anything that they're touring any longer or still together or playing. But regardless, it's interesting to see like what kind of, you know, genres do we kind of maybe overlook with our American perspective on pop music, right? Well, certainly. Like we wouldn't expect this to be huge in the early 2000s in America. But... I know, yeah, I, I, I certainly didn't, but that's, that's a good point. You guys mentioned I, the metal scene much bigger in Europe. And even though during that time, I, I don't know, I want to say it was probably much more alternative rock was kind of the flavor of the day, at least the music I think of when I think of that time. But that's a good point. You know, different countries, different kind of genres in favor at different times. I mean, I think of Green Day and how far away from like certain aspects of Green Day is this music really, right? Like American Idiot Green Day. I, I think, the, you know, there's certainly the similarity there. You can hear the lineage, yeah. Right. Similar aesthetics in some ways, you know. Maybe the oh, hair is sure. not quite as big, but it's... Uh, Probably some eyeliner. Eyeliner, that's what I was yeah. thinking of. Similar for sure. shapes for the hair, lots of pointing. <laughs> it's very spiky, very, very um, shiny kind of gel at the time. We hadn't quite made it to pomade yet. Anyway, yeah, so I thought it was, it was a cool way to open our show. It was a nice injection of energy. Right. Should we uh, take a look at my selection for this week? Yeah, let's bring everything back down a notch. Let's, right. let's reel it back in. We're, we are... Yeah, we're going to dial back from an 11, and we're going to come back down to a nice, soothing 8. So um, for my selection here, I've got this this track, uh, Heal Our Land. It's also the title track of this album. And it's a collaboration of sorts, if you will, by um, composers Janice Cap Perry and Senator Orrin Grant Hatch. He was a... American attorney, politician, and composer, and he served as the senator of Utah for 42 years, which was the longest-serving Republican U.S. senator in U.S. history. And um, he was quite established as a senator, but it seems like from the research I did and showed you guys, he also had a fairly active career working in the music field. And I should touch on um, Miss Perry here. She, I think, seems very tied in with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She has written some over 3,000 songs, some of which appear in the church's official hymnal. And I mean, you all saw when we were scrolling through Spotify, this this is a prolific output. Incredibly. And just a, a little yes. um, other history here I thought was cool. Perry attended Brigham Young University where she studied music composition and theory. And that was, probably, what, around the 1960s? Yeah, I would guess somewhere in there. So, yeah, there's our little intro, but what were you guys going to say about the uh, output? No, it's just, it's truly mind-boggling 
to to look at as we scroll through in Spotify, and it just keeps going on and on and on. Dozens of songs, dozens of tracks, and across multiple languages too. There's oh, yeah. uh, there's some that uh, a lot of it appears to be hymns played with uh, some soft arrangement with the strings and stuff, or or you know maybe even some contemporary Christian kind of vibes. But there's just so so much of it. But I mean, I think I accidentally, when you guys said, just play something at random, I just clicked, I happened to click on a Japanese hymnal arrangement album, which is right. yeah. honestly quite rare because Christianity was not welcome in Japan, um, at least initially. But here is Heal Our Land by Janice Cap Perry with words by Senator Orrin Hatch. And strengthen all who Can you skip ahead the a little? Faith. Yeah, sure. I will skip to about like a minute, right on minute 30. Please help us find our way, for in thy word we find our strength if we look up each day. All right, so I think Eric, you mentioned um, something about the Morbin Tabernacle Choir, which I think, could you talk about that a little bit? Because seeing as you're a resident, one of our two resident Midwesterners right here, you might be a little bit more knowledgeable on this than I am. Yeah, so the Mormon Tabernacle Choir is a world famous ensemble. The Mormon community takes an enormous amount of pride and rightfully so in this choir. I mean, it's it's truly incredible. If you haven't heard the mormon tabernacle choir you should google it listen to you know just listen to any video that i'm sure will pop up uh it's a very large ensemble i believe it's audition only and it's made up of members of the mormon community so to me her being a lifelong mormon you know studying music composition at james young um, being really immersed in this culture of mormonism I find it hard to believe that she wasn't heavily influenced by this choir and um, the vocal traditions of her community. And I feel like you can really hear that at times in this in this piece. It's, it's hard to say for certain because obviously the soloist is given the vast amount of the time here, but in the background you can hear some nice choral arrangement happening. Um, yeah, it sounds like a pretty not, sizable choir too. Yeah, it's definitely many voices. To me, the the actual wind ensemble band arrangement portion of the song is like classic wind ensemble fanfare vibes, right? Like this is the kind of thing I expect to hear like back in high school. I don't know if you guys did um, wind ensemble competitions oh, and you would go and they'd be like, all right, here's your sight reading fanfare. This is, you know, Isn't this is what I'd expect to like pop up. Who's I think there were strings. I think there were strings. Yeah, though. there were definitely strings. But I, I do think it reminds me of, uh, what's that? Is it Carmen Dragon? Did the famous Star Spangled Banner? 
band arrangement. Am I going yes. crazy? Yes, that, that you're one hundred percent right. Yeah, that's kind of what the writing definitely reminded me of in the arrangement. It, you know what? Now you mentioned it, Eric. This is like who are those big guys? Remember those ASCAP like high school band composers like uh, yeah, James Swearingen, like Robert W. Smith, Samuel Hazo, like those guys. Ah, oh, Samuel Hazo. Samuel Hazo. I I've been fortunate enough to get to do a lot of like wind ensemble recording for new pieces being released and i feel like i've recorded this piece 30 times you know <laughs> there's something it's it's got like that very tried and true kind of american school of orchestration sound to it i mentioned john williams because like right. just right away when you get that that soaring kind of horn introduction where it, it surpasses itself on the next iteration of the phrase with like you know parallel thirds on the way down but also the way that it has that very choral-like kind of four-part writing-ish uh, arrangement where you can hear the bass, but you know, stepping up through like a secondary dominant at one point. But uh, yeah, Robbie, like, did you have something to say about that? Well, well, yeah, no, I was, I was just agreeing. Very much, you could hear, you know, the, the influence of sort of the classic American film scores like John Williams, and, and I think, you know, you know, the melody itself, you know, very much like a hymn, very kind of simple phrases, and it's really a lot of movement the most of the movement then is happening with with that instrument with that arranging then with all the the strings and like you said the horn really stuck out to me this time that's kind of a staple i feel like the horn line the big soaring horn line of this kind of writing absolutely yeah and um it's really clean i do want to say that it's very clean orchestration where like you can tell this is experienced kind of arrangement actually they have the arranger down at the bottom Produced and arranged by Greg Hansen. So Hansen clearly got some chops. Yeah. yeah, it sounds right. You know, I didn't mean to take anything away by saying, you know, I've recorded this 30 times. It's, it's good, you know? It's what you expect to hear for something like this and for the message they're trying to convey, right? Yeah, I'm sure they were very happy with the effect of this because this seems, um, I guess, to move into the subject matter of this, which is why I really wanted to bring it to you guys. This seems like it fits the bill for what they wanted to paint here of this this kind of marriage of the American choral tradition with, I, I don't know, what do you call this, patriotism? Um, yeah, it would be patriotism. Yeah. This is like a patriotic hymn, basically, right? And this for was sure. released, uh, I just want to check my facts here. I think this was released around 2015, which, I mean, if you think of the, the climate. <laughs> scrolling through Spotify right now. scrolling through so much. <laughs> of course, there's been a million different albums released since 2015. I'm that. totally eating my words. Spotify does not say this was released in 2015. This the was released right on 2000. 2000. Yeah. But, Is yeah, that right? Some sort of conjecture about that? I want to look it up. I want to just make sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think there I is... wonder if this is coming post 9-11, actually, and the Spotify album is wrong. That's, you know, that's true. Sometimes we've gotten different or kind of disparate uh, numbers in terms of the release date for different albums. Because I could see it definitely being, oh no, wait, that was 1997. What were um, we healing our land about in 1997? You know, what things were, we were just... Uh, oh, oh, oh my God. No, wait, dude, you totally called it. I found it, JaniceCatPerry.com on her sales. Here's the program note. Are you ready? A beautiful new American anthem played on Oprah in the days following the September 11 attacks yeah. and sung by hundreds of choirs around the country. This song was most recently performed on the steps of the United States Capitol by Pastor Wentley Phillips 
during the inaugural ceremony for President George W. Bush on January 20th, 2005. His prayer for our country is written by Janice Knapp, by Janice Cat Perry and Senator Orrin G. Hatch. Yeah, I was about to say, that's, that makes the most sense. Perfect, like, makes perfect sense with, like, just, I think we talked about it, just this, this bizarre kind of marrying and merging of, of American iconography into, like, a hymnal tradition, right? It's kind of been, you know, a long history of that in the United States, right? Even the Battle Hymn of the Republic, right? But I feel like we've had a very long kind of tradition of, you know, hymns being uh, kind of part of our folk music, honestly, really. Lots of sort of spirituals and and hymns like that have have been around for a long time. If I may go off on like a little tangent here, and honestly, if I get get a little too far out left, um, feel free to edit me out, Robbie, but... No, go right ahead. Eric, you kind of said, like, I can imagine this being, like, the cash cow where you, like, show up with, like, a hundred of these CDs uh, <laughs> at, like, church on a Sunday. And, you know, I guess because I'm, I'm a composer, I don't, I kind of forget that there's, like, these cash cow composition markets where, like, she could be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just write these American patriotic hymns that will, someone's going to want this, right? There's a demand. There's a market for this. Right. It's almost like there's writing the... Like the Enya easy listening music or something like that, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I, I just can't believe, like, you co- you totally called it, Eric. That's really funny. He's got a sense for these things. Yeah. He just knows. He's tuned into the suffering of our nation. But that's that's all I had about Healer Land. I'm not sure what else you guys may have had to say about it. Well, just thinking about, like we've said a few times now, the just the sheer amount of music that there is, right? And, of course, we haven't had the chance to listen to all of it or even a lot of it, right? We've only gotten a few different, uh, some songs very briefly, but I don't know, you, you get the impression not all of this is going to be crafted with love, I don't think. I think this one's, you know, a fine song and a fine arrangement like we've talked about, but you got to think, if you're putting out so many songs, there's some of it that's just like garbage. What did she say? 2,000? Over, over 3,000 songs in her career. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're somewhat working in the song mill, right? You're just... Right. Well, that's I'm like sure not... she has kind of like presets and she knows kind of, yeah, she can just churn them out. She knows what she's going to do. You know, some Schubert songs have survived the test of time. Some Bach cantatas, some Haydn symphonies. Mm. I mean, when you think of these guys that have the prolific outputs that we, we know, like huge amounts of, of works that came out, you know. Mm. Bach was writing a new cantata every week, basically, and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's, so that's you can't expect point. it. Yeah. yeah, maybe I was being too disparaging there. And that, that's a good point, you know, especially for religious uh, or composing music for religious services. It kind of, you know, you got to go to church every week. You got to get some new music up there. So it, it, it makes sense. It's almost utilitarian in a way. Right, yeah, certainly. Yeah. And you think, especially if you're writing songs, you've got like various religious texts just to pull lyrics from. So you got to think, you know, that that's probably streamlines the process. Except these these lyrics were written by the man right. himself, or you Senator. Know, esteemed Senator Orrin Hatch, and he just writes something yeah. down for you. Yeah. <laughs> and they did collaborate on another album. We saw they had another full album that they collaborated on. That's, they're like the Mormon Rogers and Hayden <laughs> Did we mention that Hatch was uh, Mormon? Oh, he is? I think so. Well, I didn't no, catch all that. All this is, is Mormon music. She's, oh, you know, yeah. he's from Utah. There's a ton of Mormons out there, right? Yeah. Well, that is their predominant, yeah. 
That's like their country. That's Mormon yeah. country. Mormon <laughs> land. I think we, we covered all our bases there. Robbie, you want to take us into the next? Oh, I would be happy to, Eric. So for this week, the song we'll be listening to, selected by me, Robbie Head, is How Come My Dog Don't Bark by Cousin Joe. So it looks like Cousin Joe was a New Orleans and blues uh, jazz singer, uh, New Orleans blues and jazz singer, uh, well, lived his whole life in Louisiana and New Orleans. He was born New Orleans and he lived his whole life there. It looks like entirely, you know, his life was spent working in and around New Orleans. But he did play with many famous people that sort of came through the town. Looks like basically any famous jazz or blues musician that, that came into New Orleans at least bumped shoulders with. And uh, this particular track is off of the gospel wailing, jazz playing, soul shouting, tap dancing blues man from New Orleans. So it's uh, quite a mouthful of a title. And uh, I think it's a real interesting number. So let's, let's go ahead and take a listen to that. Now, uh, you say you ain't never met my wife. And you say you ain't never seen her before. And you ain't been hanging around my house at night when I ain't home. Well, buddy, this is what I want to know. How come my dog don't bark when you come around? I know I got the baddest dog in town. He's supposed to bite anybody. Oh, yeah, he bit my sister. And he bit my brother. And took a big old chunk out of my poor sickly mother. That As you can hear, it's very much spoken word. is kind of infused with uh, his vocal style here. And, and, you know, you get to other tracks where it, it's more just straight singing or blues singing. But this one really, I think we, we talked about it a little bit, how interesting... It is when he switches between this, this vocalizing musical pitches and it kind of flows freely from singing in speaking and things like that. And it's very much, of course, a storytelling kind of uh, genre, the blues. And I think this kind of fits right in with that tradition. It goes on like this for like six minutes or yeah, six minutes and five seconds. And he, he never breaks out into like a piano solo or full on blues singing, but you know, I really find it very compelling the whole way through. What do you guys think? I, I really liked the... I started paying attention to the second listen around. Um, it's definitely him playing the piano, right? He's accompanying himself here. That's right, yeah. And it's it's really cool that he gets, like, different subtle touches when he, he creates, like, a silence when he says, how come my dog don't bark? You can tell that he drops uh, a beat, basically, to really be... to, to bring attention to the, the name of the song, right? Right. And... When you just showed it to us at first, I was, I was kind of hooked because I was waiting. Like, where is this going? You know, like where, where is this going to? And and all the conjectures at the beginning of the song. There is some really nice comedic timing to this too. Like, um, it's just such an interesting medium of, yes, spoken word with music, but it's not quite what I think of when I think of what the blues develops into, where you think of more of like a vamping over over. A, a little progression mm. and it's leaning more towards uh singing but this is it's very theater like i i, I think um eric did you have something there yeah you know i think um you said it best when we were talking earlier and how you brought up this that this reminds you kind of of perot lunaire 
and the Sprechstimme style of vocal singing. And for those who don't know at home, Sprechstimme, and I'm butchering that pronunciation, is um, is a style of vocal singing where you are like half talking, half singing. Um, it was popularized by Schoenberg and Perot Lunaire. And that's kind of what he's doing here, right? It's It's walking the line between, you know, kind of a song and just spoken word. It's pitched. And we go through these very large and sudden range shifts, you know, in, in terms of his register, which is also a big part of Sprechstimme generally. But to hear it in this context and, you know, totally unrelated to classical pseudo-contemporary music is really amazing. To happen kind of organically just in a, in another genre like that and hear it come to life is, is very cool. And of course, you know, the, the piece itself uh, is hilarious. You know, he does have great comedic timing. Uh, I thought that was a great observation, Matt, where you're talking about the, like the drop beat. No, you're totally right. right. Uh, yeah, I think the comparison to theater is spot on. That's a really good way of thinking about it. Uh, and even thinking a little more about the piano playing, right? It, on first listen myself, I was like, you know, I was waiting, like you mentioned, Matt, I was waiting for the regular blues kinds of changes, right? Where's one, where's four, where's five? And he doesn't do that. It's basically just like a turnaround, one, six, two, five, the whole time. But there, you know what? You listen to it more, and it's not really so simple. Because, like you said, the the ways he interacts when he's singing, the the little changes in in tone quality and, and accents on the piano that kind of, uh, you know, follow follow his speech patterns almost. It, it's really interesting, playing and and singing or singing singing and speaking. Uh, and, and maybe this doesn't make any sense, but I, I think this is one of the things that maybe in the classical world, it's harder to, to define, right? Because if you were going to notate this, like Matt, you mentioned you wanted to, to transcribe the melody line, maybe, it would be, you'd have to get pretty crazy to like start, get a facsimile of what, um, what he's doing there, right? I think sometimes our, our thinking about music from this perspective and training can maybe blind us a little bit to qualities in music that aren't so emphasized in this, this Western classical music we, we sometimes have. I just was reminded of, um, have you guys seen the transcriptions that Bill Wirtz has done? So are, are we familiar oh. with Bill Wirtz, the yeah, uh, yeah, History yeah. of Japan guy? Right, yeah, yeah. His style is a little bit similar to this. If you've watched any of his little shorts where he's like, he'll just improvise like a line, but he actually did two big transcriptions that he put on YouTube of, uh, one is a interview with Paul McCartney talking about how uh, classical music or popular music is the is the classical music of today and another one was he was just uh, transcribing and harmonizing the weather lady or something like that I think I have seen these yeah these those were brilliant but um it's still not quite there I think what would be really funny about trying to do this transcription project is also thinking of, of um, Pierre Lunaire and Sprechstimme the moments where he chooses to really emphasize a pitch I think we heard a moment where he hung out on like what sounded like a blue note, it almost sounded like it came out of nowhere. Mm. Like he just naturally happened to be speaking that way. And it happened to harmonize with the key signature, right? Like it's, it just coincidentally happened to be that particular blue note, which is right. what makes it so cool. You can't, you almost can't imagine this happening if there was an accompanist and a singer. Huh. It has to be him doing it. Yeah. For my theory crafting, I like to imagine a world where this continued to be a genre of, because this is more performance art. This, this, like, I imagine that seeing this live 
would be 10 times greater than simply listening to the recording. I, I would want to see Cousin Joe like live doing this and probably doing things spur of the moment, changing things around a little bit, you know? Yeah, no, you you do think like, oh, just to be in that New Orleans club in, in the 40s and 50s, what would it be like to be in that environment? And I, I got a chance a little bit to see, I think in later years, he, he did get in some like jazz festivals and there's some videos of him playing. And he's just a really, you know, a really charismatic performer. There's something really magical about just, you know, like you said, watching him do it and, and hearing him speak and sing. It's very compelling. I bet that if you heard a live recording of this, if somehow we could find like an archive live, live from like in front of a real audience in the real setting, when he gets to that moment after 30 seconds of building all this story up, when he gets to that moment where he says, how come my dog doesn't bark? You probably hear laughter. You probably hear people immediately like slapping their knees and laughing at that. Sure. Yeah. No, great, great selection. This movie, Grabby. Oh, thanks, Eric. Did yeah, this is really that? fascinating. Yeah, no, I was really, I was surprised I'd never heard of this guy before. It, it's, I guess it just goes to show you something we keep coming back with this particular project, how much great and interesting music, you know, even if you're really into music, or even a particular genre of music, there's, you know, there's always someone else you haven't heard of who has something worth listening to. Something you'd Absolutely. never even think of, like right. this, yeah. right? But you couldn't have envisioned, yeah. To be honest, I couldn't have envisioned any of our selections from today right. until I both heard and in some cases saw what it was we were dealing with. I mean, you know, Glam Rocket hanging out in Sweden, our fun Americana Morbin Tabernacle Choir, and and I don't even know what I, we can liken this to the blues, but it's something so special and unique unto itself. All right, should we uh, we move on to the segment where we talk about what we've listened to this week? Sure. Take us right, away, Robbie. Eric. No, Robbie, it's no, up to Eric. you today. No, I did it first last I time. I insist. I, I did it first last time. No, See, Robbie, I we didn't. already know what Eric is going to say, so we have to not let him go first. Right, that's true. That's, then we connect surprised when he talks about the clarinet music. Yeah, that's how the that's how the bit works. We're on episode three now. We've got to keep it going. We've got to establish. I'm sorry. We've got to establish the bit. This week, uh, you know what I just listened to today? Uh, an album. Uh, I think the album is called. The band is called Artemis. And it's a, a septet of uh, jazz musicians. And the album is titled, is yeah, self-titled Artemis. And it's really great. Eric, do you know Annette Cohen, the jazz clarinetist? Yes, yes. She's um, she's great. She's yeah. phenomenal. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, she's on there with uh, a couple other, you know, really big names in the jazz world and, and uh, jazz improvisers. Lots of really interesting part writing and arranging. And, of course, great improvising and solos and... Give what was listen. the name of that album again? Uh, the band is Artemis, and the album is also called Artemis. Gotcha. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Very cool. All right, Matty P. Thank you, uh, Eric. Uh, I've actually been getting back to a favorite of mine from a handful of months ago. Um, the R&B singer Yaren Beck, she released a hefty two-sided full-length album earlier this year. And you know, while I was finishing up my project, I just needed to, to go through that album. It's one of those that I highly recommend you just play it from start to finish because it's got a very good, like intentional arrangement of the tracks and a, like a really nice kind of flow that you can go through. And she seems to be um, really hitting it big right now in Korea's like uh, growing R&B scene. And that album is uh, Garen Beck's full length album. I think every letter I wrote or something like that. 
All right, so this week, um, after last week's, all right, hang on, guys. All right, okay. keep it right. together. <laughs> okay. After after Eric, last week's. The, uh, the thing is, though, Eric, I just don't know what it could possibly be. Yeah, what could it be? There's after so many possibilities. Issue, you know, I decided to look up Mr. Bacon's discography. You know, go through some of the works we didn't get a chance to listen to. Uh, as you recall, we listened to Pigtown Fling, but I mentioned that he had written a piece for clarinet and what? orchestra called... Clarinet music! <laughs> yeah, called Remembering Ansel Adams. And um, it's great. You know, it's, it's not quite a concerto. It's more of an elegy. Slow first half of the Copland clarinet concerto okay. in terms of sound. Uh, very Copland-esque. Ring same. You know, it's got that Americana sound. Pretty cool piece. Because I don't only listen to clarinet music, I also listen to some Emmanuel Pahoud, the principal flute player of the Berlin Philharmonic this week, play the Mozart Concerto, the one with harp. No, well, both, actually. The album's both. The Mozart um, Oboe Concerto, as in the one that got turned into the flute concerto? Uh, both. So flute okay. concerto number one in G major, and then the flute and harp concerto in C major. Okay. Um, which one is the... Is the oboe one, Matt? I'm the sorry. Signature. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And then also, uh, Robbie, you know, Jonathan Biss. Are you familiar with Jonathan? Oh, yeah. Pianist. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to Mozart Concertos number 21 and 22. Uh-huh. So, you know, Is that what ran the gamut Robinson? this week. Uh, let's see. I just had it up and now it's gone. So thanks for that. Let's uh, let's take a look. It's in <laughs> C <plan>. major. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is your fault. Um, C major and E flat major. It's K6. 467 and 482. Okay. I enjoyed my listening this week. Still managed to find a way back to clarinet, but we forgive you. We uh, will allow it. Just wait for next week. I've got some good stuff for next week. That's when you get to hear about the real good clarinet music. (laughs) Some undiscovered Robert Frost, or uh, not Robert Frost, um, Martin, what's his name? Martin Frost is the the legendary. Robert Frost is the poet. Yeah. Do you think we could get him on the show? Martin Frost. Yeah, bring think, him on. Yeah, we can't get Robert Frost. We're, no, we're right. a little late for that one. You think he'd have us? Well, as always, be sure to follow us on all our various uh, social media accounts. On Twitter, we're, was it, at Drop Haystack? Is that I right? had to make it shorter. I think I did have to make it shorter for Twitter. We are at Drop the Need. No, yeah, we're at Drop Haystack. That's our, that's our, that's our at. Robbie right. knows. And I think we're at the just drop the needle in the haystack on Instagram and everywhere For, else, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Follow us there and follow us on Spotify or wherever you happen to be listening and rate and review and all those things you're supposed to do. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week.